Welcome back to Foreplay. We are in film two of our heist arc after uh, an epic discussion last week over the very serious piece of art, which is Heat. Uh, we are definitely onto something that is more in the style and less art genre of the 1999 remake of The Thomas Crown Affair uh, by John McTiernan, a director who actually, I mean, has done quite a number of famous films. Oh, films with, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah with, with, uh, I would say, varying degrees of quality. Uh, you probably have seen Predator, Die Hard, perhaps The Hunt for Red October. These are all films that he directed, Last Action Hero, um, and a couple of films in 1999, both of which are guilty pleasures of mine, and I am not ashamed to admit it. This, The Thomas Crown Affair is a guilty pleasure of mine, and the other film he did in 1999, The 13th Warrior, is another guilty pleasure of mine. <laughs> so, you want to um, know something, Monty? Yep. I don't know if you know this detail. Probably Richard was about to spring and tell you. But the maddest thing is, when I actually look it up, first of all, how insane is it? Because we've done some of these before where like you don't... The movie's famous, but the director's name's not as famous. How is it possible, by the way, that almost no one knows the name of the guy who directed Die Hard? That is insane, <laughs> Predator. Like, I was actually shocked when I saw it. Wait, fucking hell, was that who did all these? And even worse, right, you get, this is what happens when you go on, like, his IMDb and you're looking through, you're like, fucking hell. But then it just stops all of a sudden. But he's still alive. Yep. And this is the detail. Yeah. Apparently, he went to prison for like yes. some sort of like wiretapping case or something. And that's why he hasn't made any movies so, since. Because so, his actual resume is pretty bad, actually. Yeah. Yeah. No one will let him make <laughs> movies because, and this is a true story, guys. He basically has been blacklisted in Hollywood because when he was making, I haven't seen this, but by all accounts, a very terrible movie called Rollerball, uh, he hired a private investigator to wiretap, illegally wiretap one of the producer's houses, got caught. Then he <laughs> fucked around and lied to the FBI. So he like perjured himself as well. Uh, and then eventually through kind of failed plea bargains, he ended up going to prison for a year and is now like bankrupt, got divorced, out on release. No one is actually willing to fund his films anymore. So it's been a it's been a wild ride, especially for a guy who has so many kind of really famous films on his resume as a director. Also, not exactly fitting that this is the movie we're talking about, because in this movie, a suave <laughs> operator does do some potentially legal stuff, flaunts the law the whole time, gets away. You're glad he does. And at the end, it's like, jokes on you, dickhead. Where's this guy? In real life, just got bodied by a bar. <laughs> well, well, according to his Wikipedia as well, when he, when he was doing his bit, because he ended up going down for a year, he, uh, he did write a sequel to the uh, Thomas Crown Affair, which mercifully hasn't been made. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, uh, the one thing I can say is because he did do, uh, what the fuck is it called? Hey, imagine third, actually turning to the guy Warrior in the one you turn to and you're like, what are you in for? And he's like, well, I actually directed Predator and Die Hard, but <laughs> yeah, I'm here for white top. like, uh, what? Yeah, what? Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, no, I'm actually I'm in here for rollerball, which isn't even necessarily a lie. No, I don't. Right, okay. so, but I mean, look, the, the one the one good thing I can say about this movie is it wasn't the worst movie he made in 1999. Because the 13th hey, Warrior is I love the 13th Warrior. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, what I've learned doing this podcast is that it does seem to be the case that. 
taste isn't linked to intelligence in any way, shape, or form because I know you to be an intelligent person. I, I suspect Roger Ebert, our our fifth Beatle, so to speak, is an yes. intelli- was an intelligent person. By the way, to the fact that a running theme of this show has been bagging on dead Roger Ebert. Well, think about what we're going to be able to do with AI in about twenty episodes' time. Or something. He's coming on. He's coming on for the Christmas special next year. Like that's that, that's happening. Yeah, hey, look, cool, cool story, bro. There's the reason why I classified this as a guilty pleasure, Richard, it's not because I think this is a seminal film. I well, do not. Feel I, yeah. I just enjoy it. <laughs> guilty pleasures are meant to be enjoyed alone. You don't make your friends come. Yeah, that's <laughs> the weirdest part I don't get, Monty. Is that he's, he's nailed it right there. He's actually put the lens on. Because as he says, right, look, if you want to get around, Monty, when no one else is around, and you have, you know, the, the kids are away with someone else, like, you just have the house to yourself. If you want to, like, dim the lights, light a bunch of candles, get out a fucking old Barney tip and have a goon session for fun. Do it if you want, but don't invite us. Don't go turn up at eight. I start, you know, it starts to chafe at about eight thirty. Like, mate, that's where it gets weird. I agree, with Richard. Do what you want. Do your shit yourself. By the don't way, tell us it's, it's it's not it's not just the two of you. I force thousands of other people to also watch this. <laughs> Even creatures. What sort of exhibition is this? A, yeah, it is a fetish. Then brilliant. I, know. <laughs> oh, it's like, I think he's even going like, ah, oh, I'm not really, I'm not really enjoying this. It's just, I'm ironically enjoying it. Oh, yes, I'm not, shit. I'm not ironically <laughs> enjoying it. I genuinely enjoy it, but I also recognize it's bad. Look, I've said this about my own handle of Monte Cristo. You know, I was a oh, literature major. True. It's not that I think yeah. Dumas is the best writer of all time. It's just because I enjoy. I enjoy the Cat of Monte Cristo. Like, I enjoy the Three Musketeers. I enjoy these kind of pulpy action, you know, pop culture pieces from the 19th century. Um, I like him a lot better, you know, than certain other authors of that period. But I wouldn't put him up against, like, Moby Dick, which I recognize to be a significantly more important work of literature, right? I can distinguish between the two things. Um, but sometimes when you, way, just, yeah, when you just want a stylish adventure piece, <laughs> The Count of Monte Cristo is a fucking good book. And it does have some uh, themes. But is it was it something that was a serialized publication that was meant to you know be put in the shit rags that everybody read and it was all anybody talked about that week? Yes, because that's exactly what it was supposed to be. It was mass media entertainment. And so I don't have an issue with that. And there are certain things that I love about this movie. First off, Pierce Brosnan is in the middle of like the apex of Pierce Brosnan's career. He's like in the middle of his Bond run right now. I think he's fucking great in this movie. I think he is so like effortlessly cool in this film and plays such a really fun and stylish and compelling character that it really makes a lot of the movies as well. Fantastic ass, great, great ass. naked. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, not gonna lie, like it, he actually did. I thought by 1999 we'd given up on the trope of here's a ray of moonlight just fucking <laughs> bouncing off someone's chiseled wooden ass, like they haven't drank water for three days. Like, are we still doing that in 99? Are we, John McTiernan? Like, what the fuck? So yeah, but yeah, fair enough. Pierce Brosnan is hot as fuck in this film, which is fair. Like that's fair. Yeah, and, and um, I think he, I think he plays this part with a lot of charisma and really compellingly. And I think that the underlying premise of this film is just, it's just really fun. Like the the concept of it that you have this ostensibly hundred millionaire billionaire finance king who is at heart kind of a thrill seeker and is trying to get more out of life than just being another suit 
is is an interesting premise. And the fact that it deals with high art and high art theft. And it's so beautifully shot in New York City, too. Like, all the shots of the Met are, are just stunning. Um, you know, I lived in New York, so it really does make me feel nostalgic for the, you know, the Met and, and the other parts of the kind of the Upper East Side in the city where this takes place. Um, it's, it's a, it's a great, it's a, you know, it's just a great, it's a great simple heist film with, that has a very unsatisfying romance attached to it. <laughs> and this is that concludes funny. all the good yeah, things you can say about the film. <laughs> this is what's funny though, Monty, is like, first of all, I'll put my cards on the table. I'm actually slightly annoyed because you know what, Richard, I thought I was going to really destroy this film, but it wasn't actually as bad as I thought it was. I, like, I think the problem is, I do, obviously I watched it when it came out, so I think I would be like 18 at the time. I remember it was okay at the time. Like I, like I like Pierce Brosnan. I thought it was an all right movie, but I didn't remember it being anything like worth remembering or whatever. But it actually, was better when I rewatched it. There are p parts I do think are a bit, a little bit ropey. But the joke is, it's funny Monty framed it that way because I actually think my conclusion of the films may be very different then. Because to me, the entire premise of the movie is just about men and women and relationships that they have and, and like yep. concepts like who has leverage in a relationship and the push and pull of when you initially are, are meeting someone and you chase them and then they withdraw and then you pursue and then you withdraw and they pursue and you have the cat and mouse back and forth. Like essentially, the joke is, I'd actually make the... Even though I, I can see why there's definitely some aspects. I told you, I'm not the biggest Renny Russo fan, but there's some parts we'll get into. There's parts that don't necessarily hold together that well and definitely, by the way, come off. Here's the bad part. Some of it doesn't age well in a sense that, you know how like 80s cheese somehow now has become almost like vintage and has like an aesthetic to it that you can enjoy, vaporwave people will know. Mm. This almost has like cringe that hasn't either matured or it just doesn't <laughs> translate. Like a, a quick obvious example Pretty is the first, the first heist in the film, mate, the music for that yeah. would be in like a comedy fucking Bro, like I am so Nicolas glad you Cage. Said the music. That, that would so be in like Nicolas Cage Con Air type movie, mate, that music. That music is like, again, that felt like you think you're in 98 or something like, man, this is 1999 you're making this film. This isn't some cheesy movie. You're trying to actually do like a serious scene. So there were certain aspects I thought were very cheesy. To me, though, we'll get to it later. I think the whole thing I want to talk about is actually that whole like relationship aspects. I've got some interesting takes there. But yeah, let's get into it. Because the thing is, I agree with you, Monty. I can see like we made all the point. The director obviously has skill and he knows what he's doing with the yeah. camera and stuff. But that was one thing I thought was weird about this film, though, is it could have been either a really serious action film. It could have been a really serious, actually, like emotional film about like relationships and character acting. But it chooses this weird middle ground where it's trying to have all this levity it's trying to even be like i say almost like a cheesy like almost like they're intentionally making it like slightly silly and just uh, suspension of disbelief but then it's also trying to like on some level earn some like respect or integrity i felt like it, uh, i didn't know what tone the movie was trying to get so uh, yeah, i think it's, in, it's in regard to the music like a lot of it <laughs> is kind of like more jazzy the soundtrack and it intentionally like lays it on pretty heavy and for me it's very reminiscent of like the the 60s Rat Pack films that were heists, like the original Ocean's Eleven, um, because those those incorporate music very heavily or they have, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. in the original Ocean's Eleven, like uh, singing that song EO Eleven or whatever. Right. And so I think that there was it was trying to call back to that, but using more like contemporary jazz. And I didn't really agree with that 
angle of it, but it is, I mean, this the soundtrack is inescapable, and sometimes it doesn't work. I think, personally, I'm a big fan of the Nina Simone uh, song that they use at the end when yeah, they're... That's, I'm one of the one when all those, like, the fake Romanians are, like, drilling in and stuff, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's actually bad. like some, like, metal from the 80s, like... But here's the fundamental problem with that. It's not even that the music selection is bad. It's the it's the way that it is layered in the movie. Uh, it, it, it's really jarring because the, they're using a soundtrack, but they're almost do, they're trying to present it almost diegetically. So it, it's when they're doing the heist bit, it's like heisting's happening. But then it cuts back to like Pierce Brosnan, and the music just immediately stops. Doesn't fade out. Doesn't go quiet. They haven't skillfully took a little rep reprise and just done a, yes. no, 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 it just hard stops. It's, it's, and then it's it also that the music talking, is... And then it cuts back. <laughs> and I was like, how, and, and it goes yeah. on for like 12 minutes. And yeah. I was genuinely on that scene, is this supposed to be like a comedy scene? Are we? Because yeah. I, I, I was thinking it was supposed to be presented seriously. initially. But, you know, that was the, that scene alone is just not a great one. But yeah, like, I, the, I think, the, I think the, it's... the entire music and sound design in this movie is dreadful. I mean, really, really bad. Like... <laughs> actually terrible it's also that and i think you'll notice this when you watch the movie is that the 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 soundtrack sounds like it's just covering up everything else like it's it's not just there it's yes. in front of absolutely everything to the point it's actually legitimately distracting to what you're watching at times uh even when i agree yeah. with some of the song choices it's like too forceful even when the Most song Monty, is good the problem here is this might just be like you know one of those cultural idiosyncrasies but the problem is even though i actually do think that specific performance by nina simone of that song is a banger song and it even's yeah. not badly used the problem is monty i'm not joking you could literally take any of the scenes where he's being suave with that song on and that could just be like a commercial in britain for like a dad's <laughs> like here's the here's the new audi you aren't you looking fucking slick picking him up from school or something like it just has that thing where it's like it's a little bit it's almost like too obvious a, a sort of song to pick for that you know like you just slap me in the face like oh it's all suave and like sort of something like that, that you, actually, you give me it too much you get all too thick you know I, I think you actually hit the nail on the head is that the music in this sounds like a commercial it, it the music is so yeah, upfront like it would yeah. be in a commercial i think that's actually it. That, that just really clicked for me what you said in terms of describing how the sound design works in this film and i think that is ultimately Kind of unsuccessful, which is a bummer. Um, it's weird. The thing I've been hinting at, which I've just got a bunch on we can do later, but I want to get through like the premise and we'll do all the usual stuff, is like if you look at the actual like relationship aspects and what it might say about men and women and different things about the era, etc. Dude, if that was like a European film, that would just be treated so seriously and would actually be at the heart of the film. Whereas that's why that's what I mean about it being tonally weird, Monty. I can't tell if it's supposed to be Ocean's Eleven or we're just having fun with it and it's just whatever. You're on a fucking silly roller coaster with famous actors or are they actually trying to make some sort of like really deep meaningful point about like human relationships and you know like the idea of like the chase and what happens when you get what you want and what would you do next and also things like if you already had everything would things like flouting the law or society which obviously they allude to in the intro part even though people forget that would these things even be interesting by the way one thing i will throw in there though even though sadly i actually wish i'd prepared more for this because what I should obviously have done is go watch the original Thomas Crown Effect which I actually haven't seen but I will say one detail that I did think was cool was if you don't know the reason they start with that therapist is that was Faye Dunaway was the woman from the original yes. so that's yeah. just like a clever like sort of nod to that in a way you know 
Yeah. Um, so I guess before we go to the present, the premise. So the, the original movie was from the 60s, guys. It starred Faye Dunaway and Steve McQueen. The premise is, is very similar where Steve McQueen is the one who is doing a heist. In this case, it is a heist of a bank, which is much more boring. And honestly... The original movie's okay, you know, but there's nothing. It's not like oh, they remade a mm. super good movie and made it worth worse. Like they're both mediocre movies in the end. I prefer this version because I think the art heist is significantly more interesting. But I will say that the Faye Dunaway Steve McQueen relationship had more sparks to it in this one, and I think you know Rene Russo. We'll we'll talk about that. Maybe not the best casting yeah. choice for this, and and I think. She wasn't terrible, but I think you could have found somebody who would really have popped yes. with Pierce Brosnan because Pierce Brosnan kind of just acts all over her in this movie. And, it, you know, it's it's kind of one it, you don't get a lot of thrills from it. It just feels like Pierce Brosnan is the very charismatic one. And Rene Russo is just kind of there um, anyway. Uh, the premise of this film is that Pierce Brosnan stars as Thomas Crown, the titular man, and he is a billionaire finance guy in new york city uh the ceo of his own of what is it crown enterprises i forget the exact it's acquisitions exact. i think it is crown acquisitions. acquisitions yeah there you go thank you it's on the pencil at the end of yeah 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 um and so he is at the beginning of the film uh visiting the the metropolitan museum of art which if you... hold, back. I hold it in right. keep going, Monty. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> so he is he is visiting the metropolitan museum of art he's in their impressionist wing and he's he's looking at a picture of uh van gogh haystacks okay and in this room is a very important Claude Monet painting, who is kind of the father of Impressionism, of Venice, a sunset that's happening in Venice. This painting is the one that's worth the most in this room. Um, and they very, very like ham handedly make you know that it's the most valuable painting in the room because he's the guy the the, the docent's like. Which is very weird for a docent to say, like, why don't you like the more expensive painting better? That doesn't really seem like something a docent would say. They would talk to you oh, about it's absurd. It's absurd dialogue. Absolutely. What are you enjoying this picture? Why not look at that one? It's worth more money, you daft yeah, like, yeah. What are you talking about? You're actually <laughs> working in that gallery, you know? Do you know what it's worth? I just like my haystacks, Bobby. <laughs> Which is like the docent would probably talk to you about Van Gogh or like why you appreciate it or give you information about it if you've ever been in these museums. Shout out 90s American culture, where what they do also is have someone in sort of like a fucking like role of a teacher teaching children on a tour. And they're like, I'm sure you're bored by this, but I'll tell you what's worth a hundred fucking million dollars in it, bitches. Like, what? as if you tell that to again, children, all we should value in the world is pure monetary wealth. What are you talking about? Okay. Try this. It's worth a hundred million bucks. Because as you say, these are just awkward ways of telling you, this yeah. is the picture worth a hundred million dollars that he's going to steal. But anyway, yeah, maybe you don't get that at the beginning of the movie, guys. Maybe you're all thrown <laughs> off by that. There's some really <laughs> terrible dialogue uh, to set all of this up. Really terrible. Um, and uh, anyway, he leaves and then you find out that there is a shipment into the Met. And of course, they're expecting a sarcophagus, but really, as a, as it says on the card that they receive, it is a uh, 
Greco Asian horse, which if you don't know, I guys, to, I need to be fucking like strapped down for this, which I can't <laughs> not. Sit, so like, I, I can't even believe they did an actual shit Trojan horse. Literally. Bro, I, I, I have been keeping it in. I am keeping it in, mate. I'm just let Monty do his bit. Sad, what's sad is it's what he is. I wish it's I hadn't coming. actually given that sort of disclaimer because the more you talk about it, I'm actually starting to hate this film. It's like I was too forgiving when I. It's like maybe the end of that was just all right. But now, now you're making me hate him. Keep going. Keep all right, going. This all is right. only like five minutes into the film so, so far, guys. Yeah, not even like three minutes into the film, maybe. Um, <laughs> so it says Greco-Asian horse, which is obviously hilarious because Troy, the city, was in Asia Minor in Turkey. So it is actually a, Gre a Trojan horse is actually a Greco-Asian horse. And then, of course, later on, the, the, the detective is played by Dennis Leary. is like, it was an actual Trojan horse, as if we needed to spell it out, guys. No, as if they, as know. if everybody who's watching this film is so dumb that they can't understand that a literal, a literal, like when I say literal, a literal tro Greco-Asian Trojan horse. It is yeah. a literal Trojan horse with dudes inside of it. So they deliver this horse. They're, you know, surprised. There's a bunch of Eastern European dudes inside of it who uh, break out and then go through this uh, complex heist where they like disable the air conditioning system. Then they dress as docents and like clear out the room. And they have a helicopter coming in so they can start stealing some of these paintings from the Met. But we find out later that it was all actually a ruse by Thomas Crown, who hired these guys to be a distraction, basically. Whereas he planted this briefcase and like stops the 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 security door from closing with it, manages to like steal the painting and just walk out with it. So he's in possession of this Monet now. Enter uh, Renee Russo uh, and her character's name is Catherine Banning and most importantly she is an insurance investigator. So basically most of this movie is now a cat and mouse game between the insurance investigator and the police, most notably Dennis Leary who's the detective that she's working with, uh, the lead detective on the case and they are working together to try and figure out who, di who did this Catherine Banning knows or has a, a strong intuition that it actually was Thomas Crown, but it's very difficult to prove this. So she enters into kind of a seduction relationship with him to get inside of his house to start looking for this painting. Um, she eventually finds the painting, but it turns out just to be a copy that he made and is kind of like playing a joke on her. So the meat of this story is not actually this heist. It's them maybe being definitely being attracted to each other playing this cat and mouse game not even it's knowing they they. yeah it's will yeah. they won't they not even really knowing if they actually you know what the result is going to be because thomas crown yes. eventually is like come with me and she's like no do you really want me to leave with you and not believing that it's real and then they end up on a plane at the end at the end guys spoiler he had he had actually the the, the twist which is dumb and full of plot holes and we'll get to it, but is stylishly cool, even though it doesn't logically make sense, is that he had his forger uh, paint a different painting over the top, lent it to the bet, and then he goes through a sequence at the end where he basically causes the sprinklers to trigger within the net, which then wash the top painting away, revealing that the, the Monet was like in its back in its place from just a couple days after the robbery. Now, clearly this is dumb because everybody would instantly know it was him. 
in he this. even intentionally puts a pencil in there to show it was him who did it all. Yeah. <laughs> the logic for real that the police fucking character suggests is sort of like, well, it's only a few days after he stole it, so what can we do? Like, what are you, what are you even saying? Like, did this? Did the guy write in the script? Like, they have to turn it in five minutes after this. What are you talking about? Like, I know. I, I, wait, wait, wait. I'll back out. I'll back out. Just finish, off, finish, finish the premise, Monty. Finish the premise. Uh, so, so at the end, um, it, it does end on it does end on a nebulous note about their relationship, where they end up on a plane together and they're kissing, but it's not really resolved as to how like real their relationship is or how lasting it's going to be or if it was just a fling because it was you know erotic to be in this situation where they were attempting to attention, obviously you know yeah like yeah there's actually an element to be fair. like that would be what would make it exciting isn't it like they're oh, also yeah. trying to catch each other by the way that, that, now i actually realized that it, within just the, the time we've been doing this episode i'm full circle to get i hate this movie again because even <laughs> i even as just someone who's traveled a lot despised the idea that the fucking hostess would see you jump over a chair and start making out with someone and just go like oh that's sweet and just walk away like no the air hostess would be an absolute annoying wanker and tell you like go back to your seat please sir we'll just put the seat outside like they would never let you do that so <laughs> Even that actually tilts me now. I think about being on too many planes, mate. They never do that. They're all assholes. They never, they never let you just do that human emotion. Oh, there's so much in this film. Like, first of all, let's yeah. just start, right? Because there's going to be a laundry list, this motherfucker. So here's a few that I've got for you. First of all, the beginning of the movie is so fucking insulting to your intelligence, Monty, right? It so is. it starts. And as you say, the fucking guy who's the security basically comes up to him. And then they're just sort of telling you in really ridiculous concept, like, like he's just essentially sort of going, oh, what's that? Am I every day in this place, but not looking at the painting I'm going to steal? In fact, <laughs> that's not even my favorite one. My favorite one is this one over here. It's like, <sighs> what? is this like a kid's movie or something? What are you talking about? And then as we say, the tour has to come around. This one, of course, with $100 million. It's like, mate, you're making this way too obvious what's going to happen. Like, oh, you may as well just have a massive sign. He's going to steal this one here. But the idea, even the idea is actually childish as fuck, by the way. The idea that because he goes to these fucking this place a lot and looks at a different picture that puts him beyond suspicion. It's like such an insanely childish <laughs> plot premise. I can't even conceive of it. Then yeah. there is the whole thing of there, like Thomas Crowell acquisitions, right? This may as well be a scene out of fucking like any of those cheesy TV shows, fucking entourage <laughs> billions. Yeah. Cause it's essentially like people who don't understand finance and big business all think it's a big poker game like that. Like, huh? Oh, I can't believe it. We got him. Thomas Crown just sold something. <laughs> yeah. Dickheads for 30 million more than you were supposed to. Oh, he's done it again. Figured out what you're going to say to your board when they learned that you paid me 30 million more than others were offering. Good morning, gentlemen. By the way, that just makes those meetings seem so much more exciting than they ever are. And also that yeah. notion that you're just like, they're, like they're not even aware of what it's been. Oh my God, we tricked him. I tricked you, though. <laughs> it's like a bad anime fucking Uno reverse card, mate. What is that shit? So already, I'm already like, fucking hell. If this is how they're trying to show me, he's incredibly intelligent, nuanced, sophisticated. <laughs> and that's like a plot. This is essentially, here's my joke. This is like someone who writes fucking Nicolas Cage cheesy action films thought he could write a Christopher Nolan fucking like Inception <laughs> type film. And it's like, this is my magnum opus. It's like, you haven't got the skill for that, mate. Stick to, stick to what your chops are for. Because when you try to be too clever, there's actually 
actually a saying in England. They say you're never as stupid as when you try to be smart because when you try to like pretend to be more than you are, is when you're gonna fuck up completely. And then also, I'll just throw this in there, right? Here's why. This is the biggest, the worst part of this movie, Monty, is this concept here, right? Aside from the very premise of what they let the main suspect do at all times, while essentially, wink, wink, flaunting it in your face, that's already mad. But the madder part is the character of Rene Russo's character. What's her name? Jane Banning. Was it Jane? Catherine Banning. Catherine Banning, there you go, right? This character, what's hilarious is, the first character you should think is totally implausible is the Thomas Crown one. No, 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 no. Thomas Crown character is plausible compared to the Catherine Banning one. So the Catherine Banning one is herself some like superpower fantasy girl boss of a woman who is just beautiful, rich, totally independent, but was like mentored by someone, essentially has all the sort of like, you know, skill set to go head to head with this guy. who is a badass bounty hunter. Who has some ludicrous power fantasy of like a, a finance bro who can just do anything he wants? He's just God in the world because no one could catch him, right? She is supposed to be his equivalent, but this is the most insane part of the. Well, not only one would that character never exist; it doesn't even make sense that it would exist. But even worse, the idea that when she's brought into a police investigation, they just let her just run roughshod over the whole thing, doing whatever she wants all the time. Even though, by the way, she makes it very clear, like a quarter of the way in the movie, she doesn't even care about the police aspect of. It. She's only there for the painting. She's not even part of law enforcement. So, are the laws of the United States completely unknown to you? Or is it because you've been living in fucking Morocco? Monaco. Uh, Mogambo, I don't give a shit, okay? It's illegal entry, theft, trespassing. I'm not a cop. No, you're not a cop, because if you were a cop, you'd know that this won't hold up. Don't you want him My to My job for... is the painting. And they let her, by the way, basically take one million chances. And the weirdest part is the shit explanation for why she's allowed to is because bizarrely, I have no idea. He, someone must have owed this guy money. For some reason, Dennis Leary's in this film. I don't <laughs> even know why, because he's not even playing Dennis Leary, the famous character he stole from Bill Hicks, his fake pretend version of his stand-up. We're getting he's not, that. That. He's not <laughs> even doing any comedy. He's just there as like a New York everyman. And his whole thing is he's essentially the fucking cock character who just enables all this just because because he sort of likes her a bit and he had a bad relationship and then saw Ergo, uh, uh, it's fine. Like I, that's that's the weirdest part of the movie. It's not even how outrageous the heist is or the dynamic. It's like, I don't even get what they were trying to do with the, the this insurance aspect because it, they treat it like basically she's like a super fed, but she isn't. She's just some civilian who's a fucking like insurance person to get the painting back. That part alone, by the way, is the part that I kept having real problems with. Because I, I would keep having parts of the movie where I'd be like, but why would they just let her back in the office after she just slept with him and implied she might leave? Why would they let her back in and then show her all like confidential documents? Like that part was fucking with me. I couldn't. That part was sort of taking me out the film. The rest of it's neither here nor there. But that part was fucking with me. I couldn't handle that. That part's so stupid as a premise, you know. I think you could write it so much better. Like I said, just make her a fed, make her like a super fed, yeah. and then if anything, she just has to leave there. Because so remember, you have to go on the road anyway. I actually think the insurance part was the stupidest angle of it, you know. It was from the original. Um, I agree. I think they could have changed that part of it where she wasn't a bounty hunter. But just just for a laugh, I will say that Kurt Wimmer, one of the guys who one of the screenwriters for this had such other gems such as Sphere, which is a terrible movie about the um, from a decent Michael right. Crichton book. It's got some good performances. Equilibrium, which is hilariously cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad, equilibrium is just a bad ripoff of Fahrenheit 451. Yes. But okay, yeah, true. At least that It's the, the one way he, he chops the guy in half with that sword. Gun foo. Gun kata. Gun kata. Which is uh, a bad shit. 
games character or something. True. Yeah. And, and you guys, you guys will love this. Uh, the remake of Total Recall. He wrote. <laughs> okay. And um, well, it's fucking bold. This character, isn't it? He's like, you know what? I might take a take a, a, a crack at and, Total and Recall. I didn't, this guy's got fucking hubris, Ali. I know. I didn't even know they remade this movie, but there was apparently a 2015 remake of Point Break that he also wrote. Holy yes, there was. I didn't know. I didn't know he was responsible, but I, I knew they remade so, it. So, so let's just guys, um, let's just let's just put this out there okay. that this guy may be a cinematic terrorist when it comes to. <laughs> Anyway, Richard. Yeah, so so yeah, I'm ready. I'm I'm coming in, guys. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm off the top rope on this one. So I, I want to just start by saying I've um uh, I didn't know Dennis Leary was in this movie. If I knew Dennis Leary was in this movie, I'd I'd have tried everything to veto it because I fucking <laughs> hey, despise Dennis Leary. This guy. How do you feel about it? That's despising me. Well, I well so, so he, Dennis Leary is proof that everything Cat Williams says is true in the sense that. A, Satan's children can't create anything of their own. And B, probably his career can only okay. be explained by a satanic cabal. Oh, sure. Where you fucking worship yes. Moloch and then you give it... Because there's no justice in the world. For those who don't know, Dennis Leary was a, a, a shit Boston stand-up comedian um that uh wasn't really doing anything he used to get up on stage and you know he'd rattle through it was petty grievances essentially was the theme of his material and then you know comedy at that time in the early 90s was in late 80s was kind of going through a renaissance you had like you know the bad boy you know uh comedians most notably you know sam kinnison and and, and bill hicks and uh, fucking Dennis Leary ripped them both off shamelessly. He took elements of Kinnison's screaming delivery, Bill Hicks' chain-smoking, le you know, leather jacket persona of his early careers. Obviously, when he got pancreatic cancer and, and, and uh, I think just prior to it, he quit. Um, and then he just robbed his entire act. I mean, his 1993 comedy special, No Cure for Cancer, oh, absurd, is just... It? It's just Bill Hicks's material stripped of yes. any intelligence and yep. wit. And, and Bill Hicks knew Dennis Leary. Bill Hicks is like a hero of mine, obviously. Um, made me want to be a stand-up comedian. And I still think uh, the sad thing is because he died so young and it was sort of so long ago, pre-internet, he constantly starts to slip in the yes. world rankings of all-time yes. great comedians. He's being more and more forgotten as time goes by. And I'm telling you, like, you know, Revelations is fucking still one of the best oh, comedy the best. specials. I think. Do I love Bill Hicks so much? I even tried in yeah. esports calling out the character he became later, and I got fucking in trouble for it. So a lesson learned there. It's a little bit <laughs> yeah, of an yeah. for the fans there. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, look. Um, uh, so De <laughs> Dennis, Dennis Leary. Uh, this is how you know there's there isn't any sort of karmic force, you know. Curating and protecting the universe because Dennis Leary stole an entire man's career, an entire man's persona, uh, quite openly. Everyone called him out about it at the time. Um, Bill Hicks even said in an interview that the real, the real funny part is, is I stole Dennis Leary's act, but I just cleaned it up yes. and added punchlines. That's, that, that's and said it before him, or the joke was. Yeah, and did it before him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, key detail. So. <laughs> So, so anyway, Dennis Leary went went on to be on MTV, and his entire shtick was, "I just talk really fast while I'm smoking a cigarette about how Americans are big, fat, dumb, and stupid, but I like big, fat, dumb, and stupid things." He was like the micro machines guy. He says absolutely nothing of any value. Yes. He's garbage. He's human garbage. Remember, he's he literally has stolen someone else's, not just like a joke or a bit of material. 
a whole act and an entire persona. Everything, the aesthetic, everything, yeah. yeah. And then somehow, like, snowballed this into a career. And having to watch this cunt mug it up in a fucking movie made me sick to my stomach. I wanted to smash my TV to pieces every time he was on screen. It's because they're trying to make him, like I say, like the insert for you in the the, like every man. That's what I mean. They're like, I'm the Dennis Leary character. Watch two fantastical characters like Florida or whatever. Like, no, fuck you. Fuck Dennis Leary forever. <laughs> fuck him forever, right? So anyway, so there was that. That was problem number one I had with the film. I, All I, right, I, so I we're, coming, general, we're coming in super God. biased. No bias oh, here. God. What's good, buddy? We've Listen, got the most idiosyncratic things off at all. I, I present to you that, sir, that that is not bias. It, it, it is objective scientific fact that Dennis Leary is a plagiarist hack, right? And as soon as his comedy special, No Cure for Cancer, got a little bit of virality or whatever you want to fucking call it, he went and did just a ton of shit hacky oh, movies lots that of bad year. Movies. Yeah, he, 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 he was that annoying cunt in Demolition Man who lives in the sewers. Yeah. I want to eat rat burgers because I'm an American yeah. and I want to do doing his MTV bit. He was in He was in Loaded Weapon. Remember that? The Lethal Weapon parody that they did. Uh, he was in fucking Judgment Night playing a bad guy that you're supposed to be really frightened. I know, it's so, so anyway, plausible, isn't it? Fuck, uh, fuck, fuck, fuck Dennis Leary. It's scientific fact. It's not bias. If By you're the way, you in this theory, sense it's just it. a normal, healthy reaction. To, the other to thing is, at least in this film, he is just like a black cipher for the fucking YouTube yeah, fill he's, in. He's but not, but he's not offensively this. bad. He's just there. This but movie, here's the difference. Know? I agree with Richard, though. The way he was used in Hollywood was criminal because the <laughs> The worst yeah. thing was they always act like that character in Judgment Night. They always try to make it like he's cool and edgy. And it's like, I'm not buying this at all. No. Like what? No. And they and they, you're just supposed to accept that he's some sort of swagged out guy. Whereas like, as I say, when you know it's kind of a facade, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Obviously in this well, movie, it's just uh, nothing. Uh, key to that type of persona is authenticity. He, there's yes. nothing authentic about Dennis Leary. So, I mean, so anyway, problem number one, I will say, by the way, I do like Frankie Faison and it's always good to see him in a film, love him in the wire. So good. People yes. forget he, was in a, he, he did a bunch of movies. Whenever you needed some senior law enforcement person that could flip yeah. between irate or fatherly, he was your go-to guy. <laughs> love, love Frankie's work. Great dude. Um, uh, so ne- next thing with this movie, I think there was a kernel of an intelligent script in here, but because you know John McTiernan was kind of involved in it and the hacky writer, somewhere along the line, it became this. Right. I, th- what was supposed to be happening was the cat and mouse of stealing the painting was a parallel to the relationships and that's the framing device with the yes. f- therapist at the start and it's meant to be like you know oh yeah it's like sometimes you know when when you're having to do this and cloak your emotions and in the same way you're having to cloak your intentions although as Duncan points out he just may as well have literally held up a sign I'm robbing that painting Richard what I what I love about this movie is the other plot hole which is that remember that the air conditioning goes off because they're using the infrared cameras masks the ceiling of the painting yeah. so they go back and they're like okay let's look at the bench oh there's three legs in the morning but there's only two legs suspicious but do they ever re- rewind it slightly further to when he's sitting there and then puts the briefcase underneath that is the third leg you can solve this mystery instantly 
the, the text just wasn't there, obviously. <laughs> Dennis Leary was too busy looking at fucking Renny Russo going, man, she's such a hot barony on bay. That's what you're supposed to think. <laughs> Basically, fucking... Dennis Leary's character is just like, yes, yes, slay queen, slay, but about yeah. 20 years early. So, That's so, all so, um, imagine, imagine a heist movie where, you know, the heist, the the, the real heist is almost stealing the love of the other person. Yes. Could have been interesting. Yeah. Instead, it, it was could have been a banger. Like I said, yeah, yeah. this was a European artist movie. It could have been a banger, this, actually. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and, and I'll say this. I don't think I've ever seen a film where the premise is the two leads being in this. Ooh, ah, ooh I love him, but I got to get him. Ooh, but I love her, but she's going to get me. Right. No chemistry. Like zero chemistry. <laughs> like even when they're fooling around, fucking yes. inexplicably naked. Genuinely, right? like, I actually really wish. I wish, like, core stream style, Monty, I could just have watched Richard when he, as in, I could just see him, like, a hidden camera, him watching that scene where she does, like, the dancing with the sexy dress up against him. <laughs> like, I would actually pay to see, and have, like, a blood fucking, like, pressure meter or something. <laughs> Bro, it was. It was bad. I was getting dizzy, mate. Know, it was fucking... I, it, I, I just can't believe it. There's zero chemistry between these leads. There's so zero. much nudity as well. There's so zero. much nudity. And, and you also have to understand, by the way, this has aged terribly with recent lawsuit decisions. John McTiernan changed elements of the script to base Pierce Brosnan on Trump, right? He was meant to be like... <laughs> he was meant to be like a young a young playboy with his name on a building, could have any, oh, any women right. he wants. Right. I, I'm... I'm just so I'm sorry to say it, Rene. Like uh, you've been in some movies that were okay, right? You're not Hollywood royalty, so I'm I'm gonna just say it. Pierce Brosnan at this moment in time is so far out of your league. This film yeah, insults my basic well. intelligence. Yep. And 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 it's like, listen, I get it. Horses for courses. Everyone has different tastes and everything. But you could have sold it to me if they'd yes. had any chemistry then yes. that wouldn't be just present in your face but zero chemistry and i'm just thinking right pierce brosnan's one of the world's wealthiest men clearly one of the world's smartest he's everything i want yes. to be and exactly I, you know, right and 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 yet he settled on rennie russo who just happens to be a fucking bounty hunter who's investigating him for a heist he absolutely definitely did <laughs> fuck this film so yes yeah, I, 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 I was credit about the he actually he absolutely did it. They realize, I mean, Rene Russo realizes that he obviously did it very early on in the film. It's not, I don't think it's presented as such a difficult case to crack. The problem is actually just getting the evidence they need. There is zero reticence on her part about getting into bed with him. This is the yes. other aspect of it. You don't, right, you've talked about tone. Let's talk about piercing. I, I say this a lot, right? Like, I, I flip between genres and, uh, like, a, a, a critical butterfly. I can appreciate everything. A film's intent and artist's intent is super important. But one thing that is criminal that you must not be allowed to get away with is not respecting your audience's time because they are choosing to be there to experience your art piece so everything has to have meaning. And the best movies do that. We talked about Heat last week right a, a, a three hour long movie that feels like 30 minutes because it respects your time yes. everything happens for a reason it keeps moving along at a brisk pace and everything is excellent everything is perfect 
It's 45 minutes into a excruciating two-hour runtime before they're even flirting with each other. Why? Why? Why, Why am I waiting for this? Like, that's the premise of the movie. You've got to get me in there quicker. You can't have 12 minutes. I, I understand it if the heist was like the fucking heat bank robbery scene, but the heist isn't even that good. It's just some dickheads in, in an aircon unit going, yeah, come on now. Come on, Dimitri, let's take this. Oh, I'll just throw this out there. I'm not, I'm, it's normally, I always say, Monty, if I like a film, you can forgive a lot of the plot holes. But like also, part of this genius plan was to tell people who have worked at this gallery for decades just call up and then have a guy in a rush like no this is administration you go out of room now like that's really their plan like hey they want to talk to you upstairs me or the regular proctor because uh, mckinley be back in just a couple of seconds i think you should talk to them also <laughs> 50, about, uh, it's about it's about 55 minutes before they even introduce the motif that, that is meant to be key to the whole uh, denouement of the fucking yes. movie, which is the baller hat. He's yes. not even in a baller hat in the opening scene. Yeah. So, like, guys, I'm sorry. Like, you're presenting this based on the fact they look at that Magritte painting, the Son of Man, quite a yes. famous one. Yep. Um, I happen to like Magritte. I think he's a a great artist. Uh, you, you know, but like, just to show I'm not uncultured. It's not like, oh, it's a movie about art and Richard's troglodyte brain can't handle it, right? But like. If you're going to make the baller hat the motif and have all the duplicates and stuff where he disappears into the crowd, maybe do that instead of him going, that's my favorite painting. I would never steal that one, like, but you know, like, instead of doing all of that shit, why not introduce the baller hat as a motif earlier? Why not have yes. him going on a water? <coughs> it's, it's just all over you the could place. Even have foreshadowed it, you could have had him in the yeah. opening scene in a baller hat, and then instead of talking about the painting, an that, guy, that guy says yeah. something to him, like, oh, unusual choice of hat, sir. And then he says something mm. like, yeah, makes me stand out in a crowd or something. By the way, that would, I've just yeah. literally written a way better script than this guy did. That would be a bad yeah, like, That was foreshadowed, yeah. It, it's I, I, awesome. feel, I feel like we do this all the time. We should become script <laughs> yes. That's what this podcast is <laughs> Yeah, anyway. At the end, I've got another one of my classic ones where I've got a Thorin's director's cut better ending. Do you want that? Shall I do it now? Shall I tell you what it is? Yeah, go on. Sure. While we're there. What, the worst part about this film is actually what they expect you to accept as the ending. Because they set it up, right? Here's what doesn't work also about the pacing. The pacing of the movie essentially is this, right? You love Thomas Crown, but in general, you're not really getting to just see him and his. You're seeing the movie really from the Rene Russo character's POV. She's basically tying the movie mm. and you're following her through it, right? So a lot of it, this is part of how they're tricking you, is they're even doing the trick against you. Now, what is, I'll give them credit. They are doing the Raymond Chandler, which is they don't lie to you. Like, they don't have him go... This isn't my girlfriend. And it's that woman he's like raised to a kid. No, no, what they do is you just did, you saw what she saw, which is you saw like an unfortunate contextual timing of it. And then you assumed something like she did. And later on, you find out it isn't, right? So the, the premise of the movie is going like this, Monty. It's a relationship between two people where there's obviously constant fraught danger. That's even part of the thrill of the relationship and the chase, the electricity. And there's this whole crime element involved, as well as the fact that they can't trust people and they're superpower players and they're the most wanted people. And then also they're sort of battling each other instead of being like a lesser in the relationship. There's all that going on and then basically at the end what you want is you want an interesting result way to resolve the tension of the back and forth so it's like she does love him he does like it all but maybe he's playing her because he wants to get away with it and then he wants to get away with the stuff and maybe he's even doing that to fly right at the end right the ending just is 
you think there's a sick twist, which is, oh, he actually did trick her after all. The whole thing was a giant trick, but it was all just on her. And instead at the end, because he's referenced that Scottish thing, it's like, ah, wee lassie, what are you crying for? Like, and then you just have that, right? The actual better ending for real to this film is that she just cries on the plane and it cuts to the credits. And the movie actually was about the fact that either this guy was just playing a massive game. Because remember, you're supposed to actually believe on the insurance side, like the painting thing at the end with the, with the water. He was from day one planning the whole thing. It was like yeah. some inception level plot. So I actually think the movie is better if the if the message of the movie basically is about people who can't trust others and have to see them transactionally and have to use them. And the fact that at the end, his character wouldn't actually be a lovely guy and go with you at the end. Like, because that was the other pre premise is like, aside from thrills, what he really just does, like bank robbery level stuff, but for the lols, and he doesn't even want the money or the thing. Like that that part already is having a hard time holding up with the movie, but you're accepting it because you want to watch the heists. At the end, I actually think the food the film's just a way better film. If it ends on a doubter, if it, it's actually that he actually did fuck her over. And, she, and in the end, her mistake as the insurance person was to trust like that it was love, basically. Because the genius of the movie then would become, you could say in a traditional setting, people would imply it's men that get tra trapped by the woman or their love makes them blinded to everything. But this would be the one time where she was blinded, that he got into her blind spot. He did get into her feelings because they were trying to tease that the whole time in the film. It was always there yeah. just under the surface. They make it slightly overt with the therapist. That, but I actually thought that was actually the more interesting meat and potatoes of the film and they didn't go enough into it for me. Like I actually thought that, essentially he could have actually ended on a really emotional sort of like fucked up ending. Like, holy shit. So he was just tricking a bit. But they just did the happy <laughs> ending. They spent 45 minutes jerking off. And then it's like you said, what's oh. interesting about the film would have been the interplay between these two roles. Yeah. And we barely get any of it. it yes. It's really unsatisfying. Yeah, I think I think your point about the end, I would actually, I would make it more ambiguous where like the ending of the film is she's like crying on the plane and then the stewardess hands her some sort of like card or something that says meet me at this location. So you don't know whether the cat and mouse game okay. is continuing okay. or not, right? <laughs> or what she's going to yeah. do, right? So you, you still have... It could be, it could be like, oh, he wants to see her, or it could be he's just stringing her along even further, right? Because right. I think that would be really when they do that scene. When they do the scene where she sleeps with him finally, this is also, by the way, this is why I say the actual film is way more interesting. If you just interpret it through a lens of relationships and how men and women interact and how they how they find their lover and what the chase is like. Because I'll give you an example. The actual scene where she sleeps with him. So remember, a famous concept between men and women is who actually decided that we were going to sleep together. And you know a famous thing that women often say is like, if the woman has like all the laundry underneath and she was thinking before the date that she might sleep with you at night. It's like a, a famous premise right where's the famous joke goes the reason sometimes why she might not even if in the moment she's sort of going to maybe she does have like her old bloomers on and she, has like, she hasn't got the stuff she wants to be seen on the first that's like a famous concept when men and women initially are getting together right so if you're going to do that kind of approach well when you have that scene where after they've had sex and the next morning his like butler just brings her exactly that smoothie that she drinks and she says I didn't know I was a foregone conclusion obviously that's actually supposed to symbolize by the way that this guy is winning like he even yeah. did mm -hmm. know that she would sleep with him so she prepared it that's that by the way would make for a brilliant callback like i say at, at the end in fact there's even the one monty maybe the person just brings the card and then that fucking smoothie and then that's it yeah, that's the end of the film because that implies he must have got to plan. yeah go on yeah see uh, this is what i would have done I, uh, uh, she's crying on the plane at the end 
And then a guy with a box cutter comes in, says, we're hijacking this plane, <laughs> and it zooms out the window, and there's a well-known landmark just outside. <laughs> Fuck this Jesus. film. It's garbage. <laughs> like, it's absolute you trash. Like, I, 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 no, no, that's how I'd end it. That's how I'd end Dear it. Dear Lord. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want these <laughs> characters to Richard, have a happy time. You bored me to tears for two hours. As they pan out, the plane flies across like the early morning skyline, and then Dennis Levy looks up at that certain landmark and goes, God bless America. <laughs> you know I mean? Listen, yeah, Jesus. if Dennis Leary was on the plane as well, then the film would have been redeemed. <laughs> oh but like, I, I, like, it wasn't I, that I, bad. <laughs> it, it, it absolutely was. Like, it, it's it, it, this is just above Batman Returns for me in, in the pantheon of all the movies. <laughs> well, that's the, that is the ultimate dagger at the end. <laughs> I know that he said that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, at least it was better no, than Batman Returns. <laughs> no, but like, so so let, let's 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 just also analyze like. This film, a really bizarre. It, it's inexplicably popular to me. Like it was, a, it did well at the box office. Does anybody um, talk about this well, movie anymore? I mean, I don't know about now, but like it's well, it's well regarded. Here, here's the mad thing. I want you to think about this. We did like, I mean, Event Horizon was a terrible movie as well, right? Event Horizon's right down there in the doldrums. I've forgotten how bad it was. Another, another catastrophic yes, moment of true. nostalgia tricking your brain. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's a 6.8. Or think of the early cosmic horror movies we did where everything except the thing was a 6.8. We're also oh, yes. This is a 6.8 movie, according to IMDb. And when you consider, I think Heat was only like a 7.8. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what people want out of films. It, it confuses me because, like I say, th this could have been a very... Uh, first of all, it's a heist movie where the heist is shit. It's not particularly, like... I mean... Oh, yeah, there's one thing so we should probably address, right, Richard. Here's the problem. Yeah. The first heist of the original Is... painting, you can, you can say it to some degree. I can, I can grant to Monty, that doesn't have to be too sick because it's supposed to actually be a failed heist and it's a distraction. Right, you could maybe put that angle. My problem is this. I actually don't think that that final heist, aside from, like, the five seconds of, oh, yeah, the distraction of people who looked like him, it's not, that's it. That's that's all it is. It's, it's a one-note heist. Like, as soon yeah. as you see that there's a bunch of people in bowler hats, like, actually, all the tension goes out of the movie for me. I now know he's yeah. just going to walk yeah. out and be fine, and that they're going to yeah. go, oh, my goodness. And then even worse, by the way, this is actually the silliest part of the whole thing. The worst plot hole goes like this. So all he does is do another heist distraction to again do something with a painting, like... If I'm solving the first crime, Monty, the first thing I'm going to look for, if there's any other heist, is maybe it's a distraction. You know what? That's literally his MO. That's literally what this guy does. But instead, let's just again run after the fucking, you know, the, the siren over there and let him steal something over there like that. We've literally been played by the same trick twice. And even worse, by the way, yeah. because we didn't make Ray Russo a super federal investigator, by the way, the idea just a fucking like detective guy is the one doing a hundred million dollar painting sit. And not only is he letting her, you know, go fucking see the main suspect, but the idea as well that this bozo, like that's why essentially the reason he gets away with the heist is he's just dealing with like a fucking gumshoe, just some plodding twat who doesn't even know anything. Like the real joke is why isn't there a super cop who's like to match him? By the way, you even could even have done the movie. I'll tell you what, it's a yeah. better movie right yeah. there. Here's a better movie. It's that there is like a sort of Vincent Hanna super cop parallel who's really sophisticated. He also has the thrill of the chase. He likes to go after these guys. And, you know, maybe he doesn't even care about getting the thing. It's just about like, you won't get away with it and then he uses a beautiful woman who's his accomplice as this sort of dynamic that would be really interesting like you played do you want to know what the real loss is duncan i'm going to tell you like think about what we could have had because originally 
Paul Verhoeven was going to direct this movie. Ooh, okay, that would be interesting. And, really? And, and it was going to be, yeah, uh, the, uh, he, apparently, um, uh, well, I can't remember if he was going to direct this or a sequel to to, to this. Okay. Uh, but but anyway, there was definitely going to be a Paul Verhoeven take on the Thomas Crown Affair. I think, like, Charlize Theron was going to be in it and Brosnan was going to be in it. Okay. And it's like, like when you think about, like, Paul Verhoeven and how he's always... Uh, made interesting movies about like you know how sex can be like used as a weapon you know it, it can be seductive it can be also wielded like a cudgel uh and all these in, in you know he's done like basic instinct you know you would have got like the thomas crown crown affair through that lens that could be a great movie the problem is it starts with the choice of director you know like once john mctainan in by the way john mctainan could do whatever the fuck he wants he can wiretap my fucking house i don't give a fuck john <laughs> mctainan did predator die hard die hard with a vengeance last action hero hunt for red october i even i'll even let you have medicine man you mad cunt i fucking love him so he, he's great but unfortunately 99 onwards the fall off is real and 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 he doesn't get this dynamic when he's doing the interplay of male relationships think predator think die hard you know with with hand hands hunt for red october too how they're interacting hunt for red october when he does the interplay of you know male relationships and mckee's yes. and all that shit he gets that he understands yes. that he can mm. direct that intelligently when presented with a female lead that is meant to be the perfect foil for his male lead, the direction falls apart. I'm sure it was underwritten as well, but like for real, at no at no point, uh, I'm I'm never doing the Dennis Leary thing in this film with Rene Russo. I'm never going like all googly eyed, like oh my god, she's such a girl boss, she's such a badass. Look at that disgusting thing she's drinking. And I'm never doing that. I never feel that way. And I just think, unfortunately, if this film had just had a director that understood, you know, not just male women relationships, but I think also just. A, 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 a way to step out of the male preconception about the world. I think you get an infinitely better film, but unfortunately, we got John McTiernan's version, and it just sucks. It, I, 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 it's just, it, it, it's, it's just so crude. Is the word I would use for this? It's, 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 it's a movie that wants to be sophisticated but doesn't understand what sophistication is. Like how your average UK pleb, if you ask them, name me like a, a, a sophisticated person, an intelligent person. They'd say Stephen Fry or oh, something. Of course. You know what I yes. mean? Nailed it, yeah. Yeah, that's what this movie is for me. Sure. It's the Stephen Fry of, <laughs> of, of, of heist movies. It's so banal and fucking bland. Like, so it's, basically it's, for you, this is the stupid man's heat. That's your premise. Kind of. of. But here's, yeah. Also, I will add, right? Kind of interesting, right? Think about you get one scene, right? With De Niro and Pacino, right? You get that one scene where they're in the, having coffee with each other. Think about how epic that is when they finally meet and how you totally understand, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Like, they, they, they are the matches for each other. What if you do got him boxed in? Well, well, I'll put you down. Okay. Ah, I ain't never going back. Oh, shit. Oh shit, they're doing mad libs, acting mad libs. Fucking great, right? Think about when Rene Russo meets fucking Thomas, like <laughs> Thomas Crown, Pierce Brosnan. Like, all of the, but surely between the acting talent, you can draw me in. I, I was like, 
I was just <laughs> I was like that fucking meme, man. By the way, you have also Monty <laughs> doing yourself more favors. What you should have done is actually queue this up after a shit movie. Then it might have had redeemed. You've queued it up after heat, Monty. We just watched heat. Queue it up. We we agreed on this order. <laughs> this was not my oh, order. I'm all right, here's the premise. You this is the, the mind fucked us into yeah. this, Monty. Oh. Here's the problem, Monty. This is a nightmare fuel double fucking marquee. Like, if I had to watch Heat into this, I wouldn't last, like, half an hour into this film. Like, I've just watched Heat, for fuck's sake. And then also, by the way, the real problem as well, I agree, is the Rene Russo character just isn't, like, she just, it's never believable. I can never get into it. Like, if you yeah. cast it differently, like, we were talking earlier, like, think about when we talked about um, LA Confidential. Kim Basinger mm. does that kind of a seductive yeah. role amazingly. The joke yeah, is in great. that film, you even, you even can understand why the guy Pierce character who logically shouldn't sleep with her does because it's just like that is something by the way there's another thing they captured in that film about this is the, what they could have done in this film but they failed to another thing you're trying to capture as well by the way because it's a literal fact of reality between men and women is especially in person on an early date actually the man can sometimes be the prey can't he because he is so overwhelmed by his hormones and the fact he wants to sleep with this person everyone yeah. knows the scenario of your brains telling you don't do it this isn't right it's not the but in this yeah but I just feel it oh but look she's so beautiful like you you can get that part but the problem is like Richard said at the beginning I'm supposed to believe that super playboy bachelor power fantasy Piers Brosnan who is Megan is doing if you don't know by the way he's Irish he's doing that amazing like almost like received English accent he could do that does yeah. make him James Bond really classy yeah. and sounds like he's a different person cut from a different cloth he's doing all that and as Richard says he's acting brilliant he's, a, he's the best part of this film he's, he's great. acting yeah, circles totally. around everyone and then we're supposed to believe this is his equal who's then going to really test him and even more importantly this is the most important part. He's supposed to be the flame that he is the moth drawn to. That part is so implausible. It's not just the fact that he never needs to do this crime. He never needs to get, like put himself in danger. And then also, the reason why it's so egregious to me that she is like the flame that he cannot resist is... It's not plausible, except they just tell you that's what's going on. Like, she arrives, right? She never does anything impressive. But as you're saying, Richard, you're seeing it from the Dennis Lee people. Oh, my God, she drinks, like, smoothies and stuff. She's bloody knows things we don't. Oh, she's got, like, she's got shades on and stuff. Like, that's all they need to be cool. It's like a high schooler's version of being sophisticated. Yeah. And then, basically, this is the maddest part to me. Even the opening scene where she meets Thomas Crown. She just walks up to him. By the way, remember, this guy is supposed to have unlimited options. He can do anything he wants. She goes up to him, just says sort of like a, a few sort of lines at him, throws a few lines at him, walks away. He then has to just instantly, he's suddenly, unsure. he has to run after her. No, no, are you, are you implying like I did that robbery or something? Like, what, mate? Yeah, that, that moment actually draws me out of his character. Like, he so, wouldn't do that. Why, why is he... You should actually have spaced that part out. There should have been a few in, in scenes where, you know, there's something about her, but then next time it draws a bit more out. Because the other thing as well is, I agree, Richard, even though in the movie they take forever to get to that point, once they actually start talking, they're, like, instantly in like that. They're just completely, like, sleeping with each other. Like, they, they go zero to 60 when the actual relationship begins. That's the craziest part as well. Yeah. I think I think the issue is is that it's trying to do two things at the same time and that's why it's unsuccessful. So one of the ways that this film is I think very successful is that it is I think it's actually very well shot and like aesthetically it has a lot of very beautiful scenes and it it films luxury extremely well whether he's okay. like on the racing cool. catamaran so yeah, yeah. yeah you know, the, by the, way, the idea of the bachelor fantasy the nil like the island and stuff yeah, yeah. The, sure. the island the catamaran yes. you know all of you you know them sitting you know uh you know they go to the caribbean and they're sitting in his like cabana down there yes. like it is immaculately shot you know in certain ways and even really the scenes where he's on the boat 
bolts and stuff like that. Yeah, they do a great job with like yeah. showing the lifestyle for sure. Yeah, yeah the lifestyle the or when they're part. the glider. Like this is all really well done. Yes, and yes. I think yeah. like di displaying the Playboy lifestyle is one of the most fun parts of this movie. But unfortunately, Thorian, it having him be this much of a like a power fantasy, super charismatic, incredibly attractive, ultra wealthy baller is is antithetical to what they're trying to do in the film because remember and it's also antithetical to the themes of the art that they use because we haven't even gotten into the art pieces that they select yet okay. right but the way that this is more a better the film itself is a better piece of art is if he's just another suit who doesn't have he may be rich but he is boring on the surface and isn't doing all of this really opulent no, and with you. super fun shit mm. because that makes his predilection for doing the heist more interesting because it's something yes. secret. You can even have that come out in the psychiatrist scenes, for example. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. you can't cast Pierce Brosnan in the middle of his Bond arc in a role like that because that's not what you watch him for. You watch him for this movie. And I think when we talk about, because the central piece of art here isn't even the Monet, it's the Magritte painting, the son of man. Yeah. And what's so, what, you know, it's a surrealist painting so we could argue all day what the fuck it means. But to me, what's striking about that work is that it's a nondescript kind of businessman you know, in a suit with a red tie and a bowler. And I think one of the things that really jumps out at you is because there's an apple over his face, you realize that people who are in this business uniform all look the same and the only distinguishing feature is their face. The problem is, is that Thomas Crown should be that guy. He should be the most nondescript businessman in order to make the undercurrent of this film, the cat and mouse game, his his desire for a secret, uh, you know, exciting life. Right. Interesting. Yes. But instead he is like, those are all his sublimated he's like, desires. He, yeah, yeah exactly. he's like Trump. Okay. He's like the celebrity, yeah. you know, and it's all, it's all out there. He's out in New York Harbor yes. wrecking yeah. a racing catamaran that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars while people just watch from the shore. Right. He is the playboy. And I think that unfortunately, one of the fun things of this movie is all the Playboy stuff, but you can't have oh. that and then have the artwork that's in this film make sense because he is not the Magritte painting. He is not the faceless businessman. He is, in fact, the face of New York business. Like Trump in this period, he would be super recognizable. He's not the hedge fund guy that maybe you know his name, but he's not splashed all over the tabloids like this man would certainly be if he lived in New York City. People from New York, back me up on this. This guy would be everywhere in New York. He's the I mean, he's, he's doing like, public thing where he's giving he's, the pants and something. He's, he's like, the epitome of, of yeah. everything exactly. that New Yorkers yes. love to gossip about. He's yes. the epitome of New York glam, and so yes. so that's that's the issue. Is like the, they're trying to make some. I think they're trying to say certain things by using the artwork. You know, for example, the the painting that Catherine Banning likes that he ends up stealing for her at the end of the film is a woman standing on the shore looking at boats. Obviously a callback to looking her being looking at him racing boats earlier, but also because it's almost as though she, you know, she, she's desiring an escape, right? She's desiring like a way out. And so I do think that there is some good symbolism here that in the artwork that is used, um, but it doesn't come together because the, the, the actual f tone of the movie conflicts with the theme 
and you can't you can't kind of do both things at the same time, which leaves it rather unsatisfying. I have a couple I mean, of things on this as well. Like one thing already I had a massive problem with is this. This is why I describe her as like she's just a stupid girl boss insert. Like she is a Mary Sue. Because like early on to make her character, like I say, the flaw they have in this film, it's actually what often happens with the Mary Sue character, is it's not that you can't have powerful women or women who are smart who could catch her, but you can't just have it as like bad writing is you just say, this is a powerful woman who's really smart. No, no, you show me it. Show me it. Don't tell me. Show me it. Show me through how she engages with them and things she does and what she knows, that she's a little bit smarter. She knows a little bit more than them. She's she's figuring out his plan. They Even don't the do first that. anecdote about her is about her dad. Yes. <laughs> What, what they do instead is this. She essentially just comes up to Thomas Crown and just keeps telling him, like, I know what you've done and I'm going to catch you, but never in any way presents any sort of info or angle she has. Then her whole secret plan, while she's bragging the whole time about how she's definitely going to... Essentially, here's the dumbest part, guys. We all know he's done it. He's not even pretending he didn't, but you have no way to nail him. That is why he can be swagging in your face, because you have zero way to nail him. But instead, their logic is just because she knows. It's like she's almost solve the case so then what is her genius way to actually figure out that he did it she just steals his keys copies them by the way i genuinely could not believe that sequence where they show her drop oh. the not put them in drop the keys into his pocket that is so offensive that he's supposed to be some super smart and he was never going to figure that out and go what what does that feel in my pocket never mind and that, then when he goes back she basically just steals the painting right one the cop guy tries to say this but they've so badly set up the dynamic of how she could almost be like the cop's boss and overrule him that it doesn't it doesn't work with the audience guys Everything she just did there means they will now never catch him for stealing the painting. Yeah. She has completely illegally done it in a way that would throw the whole case out, even though in this case you would actually have him bang to rights with the stolen thing. But then even worse, not only is that offensive, and by the way, the idea that once the cops realize she doesn't give a fuck about the criminal conviction, she just wants the painting, but let's keep working with her as the main person, letting her run this whole thing. But then the more egregious part is this. This is the one problem I have with this movie, Monty, is if it really was written by like a brilliant scriptwriter, it could have been really good. But yeah. they again, they just decide that he's a genius. So wait a minute. His whole plan was that she was going to steal it all and it was a secret painting under... Nah. That that one, here's the thing. I actually don't mind the one at the end, Monty, with the painting like washes off or whatever. That's like, that's got something to it. This one though, where it's just the, the one that's in his secret place with the secret button, that was a setup too. It's like, that's like that anime shit that, you know, I hate Monty, where it's like, I know you thought that you did this, but I know that you know that. And you know that I know that you know that. And so I did the one thing before you did that. It's like, again, that's like a kid's version of a very clever plot. Because you're just, yeah, you're just telling me that's what you did. You did, again, when you do a brilliant plot, think about the films we've talked about, Hate, the opening scenes of The Dark Knight, right? In those movies, they don't have a guy go, fuck, that's the Joker. He just did the whole thing and that was genius. They just show you it and then you know it's genius. You know it's well-written. You know it fits together. So I did think that part was egregious as well of like, I once they got to that scene, that's why I say, Monty, for me, it's just about the relationship between the man and the woman because as soon as you get to that scene, it's like, what even is this? Like, what? where's the cat and mouse game here? It's just one person getting wrecked over and over again while smarmily thinking they're winning and then in the end fall in love with the person. And then I'll give you one other detail that I think is a bonkers plot hole. This is crazy because it's an example where they show you something in the film 
And then don't ever let that have an impact on the rest of the film. Right, Monty, it is directly, incredibly overtly implied that she thinks when she goes to that island that he has brought the very stolen yep. painting with him. So what does she do? Remember, her only motivation, unless she loves this man, is to get that pin. She doesn't even care about him going to prison. She herself plays a game of chicken and throws it into the fire. The one thing her character would never do. Because think about it, right? They're doing it from the relationship side of sort of like, it's like a shit test, isn't it? Will he get angry that she's throwing it in there? Will he run over and pick it out the flames? He doesn't. So it's like, ooh, the tension. But that doesn't make any sense for the overall plot. Why would sure. she allow the painting to be destroyed? What would be the win, by the way, if at the end it's destroyed? Because to me, that implies, and this is why it's so silly, that they then think they've got tension with the ending. The implication there is that she also was willing to destroy the painting to just have a relationship with the guy. So you've now removed all tension I have for the last, whatever, 40 minutes of the movie. Because I'm supposed to believe all the last 40 minutes, she's tortured with like, should I, shouldn't I, can I trust him? Is he playing me? But the second that she tries that with that painting, I already know she's going to do everything he wants. He is literally, he may as well have just like declared victory at that moment because he's won the second she throws that painting on that. That part's so bizarre because like I say, they do it because it's not well written as like, it's him then going, it was a different painting, but you might have destroyed a real cool painting. But then that's just another little like one-upmanship. The actual core premise of she was trying to destroy the map is such a silly one. I don't know why they put that in there. I feel like that could have been done so much more sort of gracefully or cleverly. I just don't, that's what I mean, Monty. It's like, I can see the essence of where it could have been good on these points, but like the execution sometimes just falls flat for me. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will, I will say, cause you know, I, I know we're getting towards the end of time and I want to say a few good things about the film. Uh, if I can, uh, like, obviously Pierce Brosnan nearly called him Pierce Morgan. Been, don't know why that's in my brain because that couldn't be, they couldn't be further apart as humans. But Pierce Brosnan, That'd be hell of a movie. I, I, this movie with Pierce yeah, fucking Morgan, that's the main guy. That'd be, I'd watch that yeah. movie. That's a fucking interesting he's, one. He's, he's literally just sm <laughs> smuggling in people's fucking mobile phones. Um, but anyway, yeah, the uh, Pierce Brosnan, like, legitimately. This this is obviously sort of at the, at the peak of his powers as a leading man. Yes. I mean, he's 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 aged incredibly well yep. when you consider he's like seventy now, and you look at him and he's like, Jesus Christ, your genetics are out of this fucking world, mate. <laughs> um, but he's great in this. I mean, like like as as a suave leading exactly. man that can be playful, um, but but also you know he he, he nail he nails it. He read the assignment. He's great. Um, and look, looks great, you know, like just you, you definitely you can understand the male fantasy aspect of the movie by putting him there. Uh, but I'll also add as well, he did do his own stunts in that catamaran race, which like, you That's know, cool. we all everyone jerk, everyone jerks off about Tom Cruise doing it. Well, Brosnan was out there doing it before Tom Cruise has had his I don't care if I live or die Scientology arc. Um, <laughs> so so I mean, listen. That that was really good. I also agree. I think there are some really sumptuous shots in this movie. I I, I think there's some really you know jo John McTiernan, even even as a brute director, if you want to call him that, he's always had a good eye for interesting artistic shots. I mean, you know, Die Hard was full of them. Like Die Die Hard legitimately has some great 
directorial camera work in it. Think about the scene where he's in the confined space with the lighter. Yeah. You come up to the coast, we'll have a few laughs. Think about the way that entire scene is shot with like the infinity fucking tube. If he, you yes. know, at, at the top of the Nakatomi Plaza, the final shot where hands falling out the window. You don't, you don't need to do that. Could have ended up looking like fucking Robocop with the dude with the fucking Wendigo arms like falling all the way down, right? So John McTitter, Predator, with the mud scene and just the fire roaring getting primal man this guy does some really good camera work and he he does it here you know as as a as a visual movie it's 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 not the best but it it's certainly well above average um and i you know probably I, I, I think, if anything, there was a decent supporting cast in this movie. Never Dennis Leary. Fuck Dennis Leary. But there was a decent <laughs> supporting cast. And again, I just feel like everyone apart from Thomas Crown is, like, underwritten. That's the crime. I, I, I think, did you need two cops, by the way? Because the mad thing about... See, I've fallen back into negativity. The, the mad thing about Dennis Leary's character, apart from the fact that he exists, it, it, uh, it, is is you've got Frankie Faison, who's a way better actor, and what yeah. do they do? They just say exposition to each it's other. Like, the entire film. Like, 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 it's like some throwback to almost, like, not vaudevillian, but, like, that that old, you know, what they were doing, like, old movies when the talkies first come in and just... Because you you'd went from having frames that literally told you what had happened in, in the adjoining time between the scenes would flash up and, you know, and now she's off to the, to, to, to the druggist. And da, 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 da. what they started doing was they would put this really over-exposition in the films, usually presented by either two bit part characters or comic relief characters or whatever and it would just be there and be like get a load of that guy heard he's been drinking all day they're doing that and it's 99 and it's just like well thomas crown he's, he's certainly gorgeous well that's nothing you know her dad used to be a bail bondsman meanest bail bondsman in the world oh yeah but did you know about this i'm like what no one talks like this so so it's it's like I mean, probably the issue is the script at the heart of the film. I think um, you were right to point out the dude's hackery, and I think given <laughs> such a given such a poor script, maybe everyone did fine. Maybe that that is the problem at the heart of the movie. But okay. I'll also just add as a final point. I think Rene Russo, unfortunately, is miscast and doesn't do a great job for me. And I think if you think of it as '99, I could name three leading women that you could immediately put in that would improve this movie. If you wanted to make no changes to the script or the performance, Uma Thurman, it's 99. She's on her shit, right? Rolling off the back of Pulp Fiction in 94. I think Uma Thurman would have knocked this out the park, actually. I, I, I mean, I Kim Basinger, like you said, uh, LA Confidential yeah. is the same I, year as this I, movie. Like, you could it, absolutely sure. see that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll also add as well, if you want to lean into the kick-ass girl bossery, Demi Moore. Demi Moore would have. Demi Moore's come off a string of movies where she's actually, oh. you know, got that masculine femininity. If you know what I mean. Obviously, we won't talk about GI Jane, but you know, you think like a few good men and stuff like that. She would have. She is a believable, attractive, kick-ass girl boss that I could have seen leaning into that law enforcement part perfectly. But if you wanted to make it more playful and whimsical. You'd, Sandra Bullock would have been great in this kind of role as well, I think. Like, if you wanted to make it a bit more like, ew, and she's kind of surprising, you underestimate her, and then she'll do something smart. She's always played those kind of underdog roles like that. Um, 
it's, I don't know, it's just sad because, like, I think uh, this is just a total failure to execute any of the premises of the film um, with people probably trying really hard uh, to spin straw into gold. And unfortunately, they only managed to spin straw into copper. <laughs> I think that's fair. I mean, I enjoy this film because I think visually it's great. And I, like you've pointed out, I enjoy a lot of John McTiernan's films just Quincy, purely visually. what we should do. Let me do mine and then you do the final right. note. Because the problem is this whole thing has been a riff tracks and I know you actually enjoy the movie. So you might as well have to like, you get to say some good things at the end and end on a good note, right? Because I'll just say this. Like I said, to, the problem to me is I actually think the main problem with this movie is the tone. Like they're so caught between two paradigms. Either for real, it should actually have been like a Nicolas Cage type person as the main person and silly over the top things and make it very frivolous and silly music. And then even have, you know, like you can keep it quite light hard with the romance it's just a silly like oh he gets away with it haha <laughs> like funny heist with a bit of like cleverness or go really serious and make it like the, keep this actor but then have like the female one who is the part of it and as I say play up the emotional aspect and show that like this because this in some ways could have been like the male female dynamic version of the male male dynamic for me like like why are these people driven to these lengths like they're both revealing by the way through different conversations her with Dennis Leary who acts as her standing therapist him with a literal therapist that obviously they're people who can't trust people and they've had some sort of a relationship in the past that's baggage that's making them so they're kind of damaged people but at the same time they're both mirroring you, there's so much you could have done with that like that was there it was right beneath the surface you were teasing it but then because you keep going into this silliness and this this plot of the stupid heist you, you're almost getting drawn out of that in fact there's even an angle basically where if people know the concept from like the idea of the pickup world of a shit test where someone actually sounds like they're being rude to you in this case a woman but they're doing it intentionally to see how you will you respond will you hold it together will you be so by the way they're doing a great job showing that they just don't make it become anything like essentially the first half of the movie is her just giving this guy mad shit tests but because he is a suave sophisticated man in perfect control of his emotions and who can sort of choose how to respond and doesn't react he's giving like the perfect response every time and he's one up in her and he's matching her that that was in that was going somewhere and then they just make it like she sleeps with her then she just becomes silly and overheld in heels and, and then they abandon all that stuff that's the other thing the, the yeah. dynamic and the push and pull that part just gets thrown away for the for the heist plot and does he get away with it and what where is the painting which is like that's the problem I, it, to me you pick one or the other it's either on the surface is this heist movie and it's a will he get away with it or won't he or it's a deep film that's actually like that's just the the, yeah. the sort of like fucking the surface and actually the, the point of it's a poignant thing about men and women and what it means to by the way even the idea of what it means to invest in someone to trust them and to know that they could hurt you and wreck you and fuck you over and, you know the you could have done so much with that, but because of the way you've done the rest of the movie and the tone, you can't. And then also, like I say, the real problem is all of those scenes that Rene Russo has where she's showing how sexy and cool she is would just play so differently if it was actually just a straight fucking Hollywood dime piece. She just she just wasn't the right casting for that one. Like I say, the joke is when she does that scene in the dress, or even when she's just fully naked on the beach. Like, on the one now, I'll give her props, by the way. Like, mad props for the willingness to actually be naked like they were in this film. They went out for it on this one. They didn't I mean, do all the silly Hollywood it, shots of it, you know. It like, doesn't like, even fit. It covers your breath. It doesn't the, the problem is, that's what I was going to say. You've done it, but actually it's just over the top in this. Like, I'm actually, why yeah. are they just just naked on the beach. Couldn't that just be a headshot of her? Just say that. Why? Look, nice tits, but why? Why am I seeing them? Actually, what is the purpose? Yeah. Is this why, what you're in the thought? What's going on there? here? It, it reminds me of that scene with Halle Berry and Swordfish. That's just like so gratuitous yeah. for no reason. And by the way, I just realized I, I can't get the film on this. That. 
<laughs> I can't believe I didn't mention this before. When they just show, listen, there's certain things I believe you cannot ever show on screen and make good. Like I actually think, by the way, I'm not someone who's against like sex scenes as a, like a purist, like a, a Puritan angle. I just think they're very hard to show and make them interesting or compelling. That scene where it's like they're having constant hot sex is like, oh, that's also pure. Again, in the 80s, Monty, you can view of that because it's a stupid mistake. This is 1999 and they're like, ha <laughs> Pouring water in his head, like that's like some bad yeah. Wolf of Wall yeah, Street he's, scene or something. He's, like he's ejaculating so much. I yes, have a bottle of water. I know. I bed, like, oh, give me some <laughs> electrolytes. I'm dry. <laughs> like, what is happening? Like, why is this in this the, film? It really into the teenage power fantasy, and then I'm just fucking her all night long. Bloody hell! Yeah, oh, she's know, still going for like. Oh, uh, no, but also in in that scene, <laughs> I'm trying to say something <laughs> profound because if you, he's going, you're a remarkable woman, and he's like <laughs> dripping with sweat and oil, like she's oh, working. God. To his absolute limit, and she's going, ah, you think you're getting a break? Like, fuck exactly. Off. Like, fuck she's like some sexual Svengali that's just destroyed him completely. <laughs> Again, just to compare it to Heat, I just want you to understand that when Neil McCauley finally breaks out of his spell of loneliness, there's just a nice little tenderness that after they've had sex, he just tucks her in, he leaves an immaculate, spotless glass of water by the side with a napkin around it, and just leaves quietly. You know what I mean? It's like. <laughs> It, it, imagine, if, imagine, imagine if McTurnan had directed it though, and he's just like, You're a remarkable woman. Imagine De Niro just glistening in the moonlight. Like, You're a remarkable woman, ED. You make me forget about William Grove. Like, oh, fucking. Fuck, get me out. Like, so, yeah, that, so that's another problem as well. Like, even in the moments when you want to see what the sophistication would actually translate to like okay he's landed her he's got the he's yeah. got the woman he's got the woman he wants is, is the sex scene in any way shape or form sophisticated or adult no it's it's childish it's it puerile yeah. and and as i said i i would never play this card you know i i i've been watching Lars von Trier all my life for me to complain about gratuitous nudity yes. is almost unheard of right <laughs> famously for those who don't know Lars von Trier did a film called called The Idiots, where he, it was one of the first European movies to literally have a full penetration sex scene in it, but was just in mainstream cinema, and he hired pornographic actors to do that scene. And I've watched that film, and actually, within the context of the movie, makes total sense for the point that they're trying to say it. The dogma school yeah, broke yeah. it up. But, 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 but anyway, this is gratuitous. There's no need for me to see her breasts. There's no need for me to see his ass again. <laughs> tight ass player like you're looking fucking great you know but like there's no need for me to see any of it and then after that scene i'm like okay it's gratuitous it's kind of shocked you out of it i surely won't see those breasts again up oh, there they are again and I, well you know we're not going to see them up oh, there they are again and i feel so sorry for Ren rena russo because actually she is someone who in this time period in her career she just fell into like doing these terrible borderline edgy. She like a rom com, but like edgier rom coms. And think about the performance she puts in in like Nightcrawler. You know, like a few years. Oh, ago. sure, yeah. She's yeah. a fuck. She's fire in that movie. That. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's fucking sad. So again, it's in. It might just be 
a set of boobs. It might just be a set of buttocks, but it's so instructive about all the problems with this film. Like I say, it, it is it is meant to be a sophisticated movie, but it has been written and directed by fucking cretins. <laughs> and then, then there, there's the issue. I, I love that you somehow made Pierce Brosnan's ass the symbol of everything that is wrong with this film. <laughs> I mean, but it is. Think about it, right? I, I agree. all would love an ass like that. That ass, like you want. Yeah. I wish I had an ass. I haven't had buttocks but, like but that. See, that's what he also. Years. I, 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 it's amazing. It's all substance, Monty. It's all substance. When you really think about it, it doesn't matter. Yes. There's nothing great about that ass. Yes. It might not even be him. It might be a stunt it's double. It's artifice. It is. But that is one of the things that I think this movie does successfully. Is like it a lot of the shots are just like Pierce Brosnan's ass. They're gratuitous, but they are sexy and they are well shot. Yeah, gratuitous and beautiful, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I'm going to reverse this on you and say, that's actually one of the aspects of this movie that I enjoy is the gratuitousness of it. And one, you know, I, I to say some good things about this movie, I think that the end scene where everybody uh, is dressed up like the Magritte painting and the Nina Simone Sinnerman track over the top of it is really memorable and it's really iconic and it's really well done. Like, it's such a fun sequence. And I think one of the things I enjoy about this movie is just that if if you don't think about the massive plot holes, right, and you don't think about which is which is fair – you know, the criticism that this could be something that is a much better piece of art if it was better written and if it had, if it had been if it had made the decision to strongly go into the cat and mouse game. And as Thorin says, talk about the relationships in a more deep way about men and women and then integrate the art into that as symbolic. Like, I think it's really interesting because the idea is that you're trying to, like, heist someone's affection. In this movie, right? You're trying to deceive them to win something. And that theme, while it's there, is they don't really ever say anything about it, right? It's present, but there is no interesting commentary that's done on it. And they don't even do anything with the fact that, like, let's say the the end revealed that the painting was there the whole time, but it was hidden and it took this trigger in order to reveal it. That is not paralleled in the relationship in any way, which could have been, again, a very interesting, you know, commentary on the emotional cat and mouse game that they were playing. But it exists as something cool that happens visually in isolation, but doesn't connect to any themes of the film. And look, I think sometimes it's good to have movies like this because we can talk about what we didn't like and how it's not successful. And mm. this is now one of our longer episodes because it's led to a really interesting conversation that there are well, some valid seeds here. They just never grow into anything. I just I just want to make one more point, all right? And this is something we need to do more of. I just want to show you who your people are, right, Monty? Because I've got an IMDB review in front of me, right? <laughs> That gives this movie eight out of ten. These are your people. This what are you talking tribe, about? I right? would not get. I would right. not give this movie an eight out of ten. I well, said it's no, a guilty listen, pleasure. Listen, <laughs> let, let's let let's let's just read this review, right? Mm -hmm. and, and let's just see. Forget all the explosions. This is by Old Crow on IMDb. <laughs> Forget all the explosions, car chases, crazy villains. 
Special effects. The Thomas Crown Affair is not an action movie. It's not even a thriller. Instead, it's a well-done cat-and-mouse movie that's smart, entertaining, and very sexy. <laughs> if you had to use one word to describe the film, it would have to be sophisticated. The movie might appeal more to mature audiences, as both the leading man and the leading lady are over 40 years old. Pierce Brosnan could obviously do with the roles besides James Bond, but the role of Thomas Crown is somewhat similar to 007. Both guys enjoy women and are very suave. Overall, Brosnan gives a solid performance and is only overshadowed by Rene Russo, who oozes sexuality and class. She is simply perfect in her role, and though she's twice as old as I am, Old crow. What's happening there? Like, it's twice as old as I am. What I find her. Mention why is that part? <laughs> it's twice as old as I am. <laughs> What? I, I find her a real knockout. Not only is she extremely hot, but also a very talented and charismatic actress. A perfect combination. Here it is, Duncan. The classy dance scene between Brosnan and Russo belongs to the most sexually charged scenes in history. And the following lovemaking scene manages to be both sexy and stylish. The one we've just spent all that time laughing at, yes. by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Usually yes. nude scenes in Hollywood movies seem somehow uneasy but in this movie it's done in a real style and with sensual music the atmosphere is simply sizzling who would want a disposable bimbo like britney spears when you could have a class act woman like renny russo that's the review one man fucking <laughs> jerked it to renny russo and wrote that, that was, what's weird is that review was movie that move that review was actually written by Dennis Leary's character from the movie. Old plagiarist. Yeah. Um honest, honestly, like I I, 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 I the line about the dance yeah, floor because that's that's the weirdest thing. It's like, by the way, I'll give you like a weird epiphany I had in life. This reminds me of one of the earliest times I went to a strip club. Because I remember seeing like I thought it was gonna be way more just actually like very like sort of obvious and meat and potatoes, like you know, the person just comes up, do you want to dance? I couldn't believe this this silly artifice where they're pretending they're like, no, I'm an exotic dancer, and you know, this is art and stuff. And I was I used to think like no one's here for that. Like, what? And then I realized that is, again, a stupid man's idea of sophistication, Richard, is that you yeah, don't just have the tits yeah. out. You have, like, a feather boar behind you. Like, that makes it classy to them. Like, that's... that. Yeah, the, literally. What that there it becomes exactly, art once the feather yeah. is inserted. Well, the, that, the, this guy thought this was some fucking, like, high-level functioning piece of art. Like, oh. holy shit, okay, mate. Like, even if you like it, surely it's just, like, harmless fun, like Monty's saying. Surely that's yep. what you enjoy. Imagine being that, like, person's <laughs> girlfriend. Like, it's Valentine's Day. <laughs> like you know, can you imagine the absolute shit he awesome. serves up as the idea of romance? And, and, and by so the way, anyway, I, yeah, uh, I, I think you guys touched on this earlier. People who Look. like this movie are bad. <laughs> Except you, Monty, you've kept you, of course. Richard did this little classic. If people don't know, Richard is the sort of person who will just go, everyone who does actually be killed. And then he'll like, there'll be an awkward silence when one person on the couch is sort of like, but but I'm like that. And then they'll be like, not you guys, of course. Yeah, never <laughs> you. Never you. I'd save you. I'd spare you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, I learned it yeah, from Stalin. And, Great and, guy. And, and also, I think part of this, part of the issue is that, again, it's after heat, as you guys mentioned, but it's also sandwiched between, you know, heat and dog day afternoon. If we had watched this, in the middle of our 90s action arc, I think the tone of this conversation would be very different. But we loved Con Air. 
This is the thing. It's like I'm not. I thought it was okay. You love Car Hair. <laughs> yeah, again. No, but actually, that nails it, Monty. That's actually what I was yeah. saying about the problem. That's why I said earlier, if they actually committed and this was like a Nicholas Cage project and it was just silly, I could forgive all the stupid initial heist with the remake. That would actually that plays into a Nick Cage movie. But that problem is that like you you making a statement by putting that character of the fucking Pierce Brosnan one in. You're trying to say I'm making it a real movie. It's supposed to have some gravitas yeah. or some sort yeah. of like a weight to it. I, so my problem is it. it just it's between the two all the time for some reason. I, I think it would fail if it was that kind of movie. I, I subscribe to this could have been a very interesting commentary about heisting affection and like the relationship yeah. between men and women. And it could have, you know, and people who are kind of uh, emotionally reserved or reluctant or have a lot to lose. Uh, I think it could have been really cool. Um, and so I even you know, thought Monty for real. I thought that's even what they were hinting at in the opening scene. The opening scene is oh, yeah. him in the, a therapist's the therapy office, yep. and then he's sort of talking about the idea of like, like the notion. It's almost like the idea of like, why does he still do it all? You know, what's he, what's he out there for? And doesn't he? Isn't there some line like into flaunt society's conventions or something? So I thought like, oh, it's going to be some big thing about like the idea of like, why would a super wealthy person do these things and take these? Steps? But then they don't actually really ever get into that. That's kind of just like that's just that was just treated as something to open the movie with for some reason yeah because like you say Monty there could have been even I mean the fact is in New York you could have even made it some sort of a metaphor for why do people who have seemingly everything still get obsessed why are they driven yep. to do that you could have had so much you could have sort of explored of that I feel like but you never did you just did the rest of the movie at that point yeah and and like it's it's worth putting out there that there, uh, I look. I just think that there's something very sticky about the concept of this movie, and even though it's not done very well in the original, and it's not done very well in the remake either, we still have people who are trying to remake this film further. Apparently, Michael B. Jordan, who would be maybe very good in this, mm. uh, would is is interested or has expressed interest in remaking this for another time. And like, I wouldn't hate watching. Make sure you get. Yeah. Make sure you get an ass scene in this movie. I, don't <laughs> I, I mean, that'd be Michael B. Jordan's remake, where Sydney Sweeney is a genius girl boss insurance person who's definitely on a sophisticated level trying to catch him, as um, Amy Schumer in the gender swapped Dennis Leary character watches on. There you go. There's a fucking nightmare. Nightmare for <laughs> what right Why? Why are you showing me this? True <laughs> detective, like oh, that's me the but, fuck out. but I think there's something really cool about the premise of this story that sticks with you and is very memorable. And like, I hope that they remake this and do it right, because I think the right, the good yeah. version of this movie could be really good. Um, and obviously this isn't it, but I still think it's kind of a fun, mindless ride that I enjoy certain parts of. And oh. I hope I hope we get to see another iteration of it uh, in our lifetimes. That's all. That's all. So. I would just like to say, right. from the bottom of my heart, fuck <laughs> Dennis Leary. That's my final comment. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, if it, I hope the one takeaway from this like two-hour fucking rant about this uh, dumb heist movie just is fuck Dennis Leary. Fuck everything he does. Fuck him forever. He's plagiarist scum. Fuck Dennis Leary. So yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Duncan. Glad you got that in. Well, that's it. See you next week for Dog Day Afternoon. <laughs> 